Thank you for coming. We've got an intimate crowd tonight. <laughs> um, we're really excited to be here tonight, and our presentation today is being held on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people, and we wish to acknowledge them as the traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past and present, as well as the elders from other communities who may be here today. Now, our ensemble is from Coburg, and tonight we'll be presenting a few songs and discussing the larger lullaby project that we've been collaborating on for the past 19 months. Now, this research project is a collaboration between the Melbourne University node of the Australian Research Council's Centre of Excellence for the History of Emotions, which I'll refer to as Shay going forward, and um, Vic Segnew Futures, which Marie will introduce to you in a moment. So, my name is Samantha Diekman, and I'm a researcher at Shave, and I'm also based at the Faculty of Fine Arts and Music, and I'm going to start by introducing the partnership uh, that this project is based on from the university research perspective. So I'm a music education researcher and I'm working at Shea with Professor Jane Davidson over there who a number of you know in this room. And uh, she is a music psychologist among other things. And um, our working at this research centre on emotions has involved looking at how music plays a role in people's personal lives. And in particular, we're looking how it's used to represent religious feelings, nationalistic feelings and in our current political climate, uh, really the feelings that surround migration, seeking refuge and resettlement. And we're also interested in the interplay between how people perform their emotions and how people try out and create different states of feeling in music and how this is done in different contexts, both personally and in ceremonial context. So this has involved working with um, organisations like Multicultural Arts Victoria to observe and interview facilitators and participants, songwriters, performers who already work in this space. Um, but we also wanted to develop a new context for doing this. So we were particularly interested in how lullabies might be useful here. So this meant moving away from this investigation and evaluation of processes and outcomes of pre-existing programs to also looking at implementing and uh, taking a hands-on approach in creating a new project and a new context for working in this space. And so this brought us into the space of applied research. And with this in mind, we got in contact with Vic Seg halfway through 2016 and effectively started putting together this ensemble in September of that year. So with this, I'll turn to Marie, who's going to introduce you to New Futures and what they do and their interest from their perspective. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name's Marie Raftus. I'm the General Manager of New Futures Training, which is the training arm of Vic Seg New Futures. Um, I too would like to pay my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation um, and, and uh, acknowledge their, their elders past and present. However, I would, I would actually like to see that that welcome to country serves as a reminder um, to all of us here that we were all once refugees and migrants. Um, and with that said, I would also like to acknowledge our brothers and sisters who are on Manus and Nauru because of the result of uh, very cruel uh, governmental policy, past and present governments, I might add. I would also say that I would by far prefer to live next door to an asylum seeker who had 
uh, crossed the, uh, the large sea, fleeing persecution to find a better life, um, than to actually live next door to somebody who won't even cross parliament, uh, the parliamentary floor um, to actually offer assistance to these people. So with that said, uh, VicSeg New Futures is an organisation that supports refugees, migrants and asylum seekers, um, offering, offering support, advocacy and also, from my part of the organisation, training, uh, accredited training and hopefully entry into the workforce. This choir um, that you see here are made up of staff of New Futures Training, a very diverse staff who've come from many parts of the world, as you can also see, um, and we sing together. Um, we're very proud to be here tonight to be part of this project um, and, and as you see we, can, we, we spend most of our time working in an equally diverse student cohort. This project um, that came up a year and a half ago um, was actually, has actually enriched the whole organisation. Um, I remember the first, the first day that uh, we came together with our lullabies. Sam and Jane were coming the next day and we work hard and we work long hours and I rushed around at the last minute and said, guys, these people are coming from Melbourne Uni, we need some lullabies. It transformed the organisation. Suddenly, instead of the click, click, click of computers and people talking on the phone and interviewing students, the, the office bloomed into a wonderful setting for many different lullabies from many different countries. We had groups of Nepalese, groups of Indians, Poles, um, Brazilians, Indians, all sorts of cultures, sitting in little bunches, all uh, singing together and remembering the, um, the, the lullabies from their youth. The Filipinos, in fact, um, were probably leading the charge. They were all crying with, <laughs> because the memories were so strong. That said, the, the, the opportunity that this choir has given us to share experiences, to share, to connect with each other in a different way has really enriched our whole organisation. So I would like to thank Sam and Jane for this gift that they had given us um, and Melbourne University, of course, and I hope that um, the future brings all sorts of wonderful new developments. Thank you. Thank you very much, Marie, and I speak for Jane and myself when I say that we've been absolutely thrilled to be part of it. And certainly from our perspective, that emotionality with which you sp uh, spoke at the beginning there about what's happening in our country at the moment uh, and the, the ways that emotion informs these political discussions from both sides of the debates, both locally and globally, are definitely part of the impetus for why Jane and I got into this and seeing in particular how music and, and in this particular project, lullabies might be used to explore bridging across difference, and that includes across political differences as well. So, of course, it will come as no surprise to us the way that lullabies capture the imagination that ours is not the first project to use them uh, in research. And there have been uh, a number of projects that have used it for different societal issues uh, to look at different challenges across the board. So, kind of... Carnegie Hall, uh, their Will Music Institute, has this lullaby project that involves creative partnerships between professional artists and new mothers and uh, pregnant women. And these professional artists are paired with these mothers and they write, sing and sometimes record personalised lullabies for their babies. 
And the main objectives with, uh, in this project are well-being and education, supporting maternal health, aiding child development and strengthening the parent-child bond. And this is something that's rolled out in uh, Across, uh, across the US in hospitals, homeless shelters, schools and correctional facilities and it's now actually being piloted internationally. And so here you see a couple of uh, newspaper articles that are fairly recent from this project on your screens there. And that just gives a sense of the context of our project in terms of other projects using the same, uh, the same genre to explore different issues. And so this is a CD that was released from that project in April of this year, where some of those originally composed lullabies uh, basically have been recorded uh, with people like Fiona Apple, Angelique Kidjo, and uh, that's been released, as I said, in April. Uh, other lullaby projects include in Music Therapy, Australian music researchers Felicity Baker and Elizabeth McKinley, uh, they did an education program with first-time mothers, again, who were provided with lullabies, and they were trained how to use them effectively from a music therapy and music psychology perspective. They were um, taught specific lullabies, trained how to use them, and asked to sing them at least four times per week for over six weeks. And again, this was with first-time mothers. So they were then met six weeks later for updates. So what did this training involve? How do you train one to use lullabies? So they were basically um, given training on what's called affect attunement and the music therapy ISO principle. So this involved the mothers singing lullabies in a way that first matches a baby's level of distress. So you're hearing that an infant is distressed and you are using musical characteristics to show the baby that uh, I recognise that you're distressed, I accept it, and I'm not going to abandon you in this distress, and we're together. And you create that emotional connection at that point of distress. And then when the you get a sense that the infant has sensed that emotional connection, you then use musical characteristics in what you're performing to regulate the emotional state of that infant, slowly softening and, and, and regulating the musical tempo of what you're singing and that uh, is how these first-time mothers were trained and that also include, included teaching them the appropriate repertoire to undertake this task with. So what kinds of lullabies can be used in that first phase of that ritual and then what sort of ones will you move into uh, for the latter phase. And it also included looking at how body contact can be used to reinforce the intentions that you have behind that musical interaction. How to do this in a way that doesn't overstimulate the baby. So here we've got both, uh, both projects uh, with first-time mothers or new mothers um, and uh, some with more of a music therapy angle. Other projects... Um, have, have looked at lullabies in a completely different life stage though. So it sort of comes to mind, yes, new mothers, babies. But one music therapist, O'Callaghan, combined them with laments in working in the palliative therapy context. So um, analysing his experiences using music therapy with patients in advanced cancer and neurological conditions, O'Callaghan theorised that qualities associated with lullabies and laments can be integrated. So we know that lullabies, yes, they're, they're caring, they're joyful, they're supposed to be, you know, about loving a baby, but there's also a lot of themes of loss that, that come through in some of the lullabies, and we'll hear a little bit more about that later today. 
and similarly laments uh, include elements that are about caring and are about comforting. And so the uh, O'Callaghan pointed out how these themes interacted and how they could be used in this palliative care setting. So that's those two studies there. Now, having looked at those very different domains, we're going to turn to the area that we're interested in looking at with lullabies, which is actually intercultural harmony. What drew us to lullabies in the first place in this space? So we know that there's a level of universality that attracted us. Using music or music-like rituals, and I say music-like here because not everybody in the world conceptualises music the same way. Not every culture conceptualises music um, lullabies as music, but everybody uses these rituals to soothe distressed infants. It doesn't look the same everywhere, but as far as we know, this is a global practice. There are recurring lullaby themes across cultures and languages. For instance, you can imagine, and this is drawn from Mama Lisa's website, you can imagine the moon being one of these themes that recurs across the world. So there you've got an English lullaby, one from Mexico, one that is from South India in Telugu, one in a Laos language that's actually been submitted from Isan in northeastern Thailand, and a German lullaby. So we know that, that that's not surprising to us, that something like the moon would recur across the world in lullabies. And, and another one that comes up a lot is rocking, rocking your baby. That's another theme that comes up a lot. Some of the more metacognitive lullaby lyrics reflect on parenthood itself, sharing experiences and expressing emotions that, again, resonate across different cultural, linguistic and religious groups. So being a Melbourne-based choir, one of the lullabies that we've learnt was penned uh, in the past few years by local artist Missy Higgins for her, uh, for, for her firstborn child, Sammy. And so this is a screenshot of her... A YouTube video of her performing that. So this is not one on any album. She just performs this live. And it's one that um, the choir laughed at when I asked them to sing it because it's like I'm asking them to sing it for me because it's song for Sammy and that's my name. So they thought that was a little bit egotistical. So <laughs> sing, sing to me. So but this one was particularly affecting to several of the parents in our choir because though they come from various different backgrounds, um, the lyrics uh, and the emotionality of, the, uh, of this song, many of them came up to me and talked about how it perfectly captured their sentiments when they first became parents because the song talks about many of the firsts that you experience when you have a child for the first time. The song was particularly poignant for the choir because of the juxtaposition between the lines, quote, the first time that I've ever loved anything more than life itself with, quote, the first time I haven't been able to keep out all of the pain that goes on because every man is now somebody's son. So this bringing together of the gentleness of lullabies, the recognition that the intense love that one has for one's child is shared by parents across the world and the implied call for peace-building efforts, that's echoed by another project around lullabies that some of you may be familiar with. 
And this is the 2004 compilation album Lullabies from the Axis of Evil. And this was conceived by Norwegian music producer Eric Hillestad as a response to the then US President George Bush referring to particular nation states as constituting an axis of evil. And in this album, traditional lullabies are sung by women from Iraq, Iran and North Korea, what was dubbed the axis of evil, as well as Syria, Libya and Cuba, identified as beyond the axis of evil. And these are used to counterpoint this purely politicised view of this nation, these nations and remind people that there's shared humanity of the everyday people that populate them. At the same time as there's this level of universality, we know that lullabies are culturally specific and it's been the way that we've learnt a lot about each, other, each other's backgrounds, the histories that have shaped our families and things that we didn't know before, even though, um, as mentioned previously, you know, these people have been working with each other and have known each other well before this project. And so with that, I will pass on to John, who is going to tell us about the song that we sang for you at the beginning. Good evening, everybody. My name is John Zika. I'm the executive director of VicSeg New Futures, and I'm also the brother of Charles from Melbourne University. The beautiful Czech lullaby that you heard at the opening of this evening is a quite unique form of the lullaby genre. Rather than the usual communication between mother and child, this conversation is between the child, a baby male, and its mother. And it's about that child's ultimate future as a man. The lullaby is also a little window into its times. The first documentation of this lullaby was in the first decade of the 20th century. It was the time when the empires of Europe were arming themselves for war and marshalling their populations, their colonised populations, into vast popular armies. I'll give you a translation of that lullaby. Bring me up, my dearest mother, like the apple of your eye. Nurture and raise me, my dearest mother, like a rosebud ready to bloom. And when finally you have brought me up, you will look at me proudly and see how well it suits me, the white dress coat. Now the lullaby finishes on the word bile kabatek, the white dress coat which is the ceremonial coat of an officer of the Austro-Hungarian army. So it's the clue to the whole message of this lullaby, the prime purpose 
of this child's existence and all of those like him is to serve and possibly die in the Imperial Army. So this is a lullaby of protest. It's an anti-war and an anti-colonisation lullaby. Subversion couched in the ironic patriotism which was typical of Czech resistance to occupying powers. Our father sang this lullaby to me and I'm sure to Charles as well. It would have resonated with him in a very special way. While he was a young child, born in 1909, his father, a few years later, like so many others, was dragooned into the Great War and after more than four years found his way back, damaged for life. That's what Chovete Mie Mama Chichko is about. Thank you, John. So as we can see, we learn a lot about the history of each other's countries and as well the family memories that come through. And so it's got both of those layers. And with that, Chanaka is going to share with us about the Sinhala lullaby that he shared earlier. Uh, good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I am Chanaka from Sri Lankan background. Majority of the population in Sri Lanka are Buddhists. Most of the people believe Lord Buddha's advice on parenting based on four noble qualities of Lord Buddha, namely metta, loving kindness, karuna, compassion, mudita, appreciative joy, upekka, calmness and composure. So every parent used to follow these basic concepts. Lullaby plays a major role in building connection between the child and the parent. When the children grow older, most children used to worship parents daily with two poems. In Sanskrit, it's gathas, one for the mother and one for the father, every day to show their respect towards the parents. This relationship helps to bridge connection between the child and the parent when they grow older. I worship my parents with this practice from my childhood, and today I experience as a father. The same from my daughters as well. Singing a Sri Lankan lullaby on a multicultural platform is a pride for me, especially with my Indian and Nepali friends, because the Lord Gautama Buddha was born in Lumbini, in southern Nepal, close to Indian border. Further, I would consider it as a paying tribute to Lord Buddha. Buddhism, a rather way of life, was later absorbed by majority of the population in Sri Lanka. My Indian friends still believe Lord Buddha was born in India. At first I thought practicing and singing a Sri Lankan lullaby together with my colleagues was a challenge because the language barrier, but we succeeded at the end. You will hear in this lullaby the father's love and affection towards the baby. On this video, you will see our male choir team was performing last December. Thank you. Yes, 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 yes. 
Thank you, Chanaka. And one of the insights that I got uh, into the Nepalese culture was uh, when I visited Bandana at home. And I uh, noticed that the, the word mama kept coming up in a few of the different lullabies. And I noticed that that also matched with the Hindi lullaby that we had sung earlier. And I asked her about this and she said that a mama is a maternal uncle. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Why particularly the mother's brother is mentioned in so many of these lullabies? And she talked about how it was really reflective of the family structure that happens there, that when girls get married, they move into their husband's houses and then they're living often far away from the home in which they grew up. And their brother the mama, uh, stays with his parents and with his presumably wife in, in this instance and that when you have a baby that that's an opportunity to go back to your family home and a reason to have that regular contact and come back and she said that uh, basically that the mama is other than the father and mother the most loved and uh, you know character in a child's life and the one that spoils uh, the child the most and so that that was really interesting insight into that culture that I didn't realize when we were singing the Hindi one for quite some time and so uh, we also know that, okay, yes, lullabies have a universality about them. They also have a specificity about them in culture, but they also draw different cultural and national groups together that share common languages. Now, we're running out of time, so we won't get to watch the video that we set up for this, but Farwad will tell us a little bit about why uh, he chose to teach us Chandamama Durke, which is a Hindi lullaby, even though his background is not Indian. Good evening, everyone. My name is Fawad from Pakistan. Chanda Mama Durke is a one of the beautiful lullaby which is sung by a very famous singer, which is Asha Bosle, in movie Vachan 1955. This song is on every mom's lips in Pakistan, India, even in Nepal. For many decades, my mother used to sing that song to me. And we are doing the same to singing this song, this lullaby to my kids. And they enjoy it a lot. And they go to sleep very quick. <laughs> <laughs> this legacy passed on from generation to generation. And why I choose this lullaby? Because this all cultures come together. It connects us. We spread the love between each other. We learn a lot of things from each other. It gave us a, um, something new through Vixek Choir to respect, to love, and pass, you know, your um, knowledge and learnings. So this Chanda Mama Durke is a very, very iconic lullaby, which is nowadays my daughter's asking me, Baba, when are you going to sing next? I said, or oh, you grow up now. <laughs> I will sing you some other time. So thank you very much. And and then if you can pass the mic to Jeanette, she's going to share with us about Yalat Namrima, which a number of us have uh, sung to people of, from various different countries who are Arabic speakers. And they're always very delighted to know those of us who, who don't look like Arabic speakers are, are very familiar with this song. Hi, my name is Jeanette, and the lullaby I'm going to, we are going to sing is called May Rima Fall Asleep, Yalat Nam Rima. And the lullaby comes from the guardian's daughter, 
or in Arabic Bint al-Haris, film produced in 1968. Uh, it was sung by the famous international singer Fayrouz. Um, uh, the brothers Asi and Mansoor Rahbani wrote musical plays uh, with musical dialogues, films, and interpretations of patriotic themes that appealed to the Lebanese public. The writings of the Rahbani theater were concerned with history, the country, the land, the future, and of course the fate of the poor and common people, with special emphasis on Lebanese folklore. The Rahbani Theatre also tackled the various socio-political political problems of the Arab world. The film talks about the activism the Lebanese people took to try to revolt against the Turks who colonized Lebanon or greater Syria for years. The singer Fayrouz in the film named Nejme used to sing to her sister Rima to sleep. One day, the men in her family went to the field. The Turks came to seize the men. Nejme was aware the men would be coming back home, so she tweaked the lullaby to warn her family and save them. The, the lullaby is very popular in the Arab world. Mothers, grandmothers, sisters, aunties sing to their children to sleep. It was passed on through generations, and it can be replaced by um, another child's name, that parents can sing to their children.
Thank you. And that song that we just performed for you has been a really important one in our repertoire in that it highlights our approach to bringing cultures together and in particular our occupation of this intercultural rather than this multicultural space. So multiculturalism recognises these strong and distinct ethnic or cultural backgrounds and um, intercultural relations emphasises the space in between these different identities and the possibilities that are offered in cultural exchange between them. So in the work that they do at VicSeg, a number of the members of the choir have been part of a lot of these multicultural events, and, and I'm sure a number of you have too, in which involves different cultural and linguistic groups presenting their identities through food, through music, and uh, I'm sharing them. And Jeanette told me that the closest she'd come to the sort of format that we're using is uh, when she was involved in an early childhood group uh, that sang Twinkle Twinkle Little Star to each other, but the different language groups would present it um, with translations in their own languages. The difference here is that the singers, uh, we're all learning each other's lullabies and in, in occupying this space and being involved in this exchange, those teaching their lullabies as well as those learning the songs of others, and I'm in both of those categories throughout this project, they're undertaking a navigation of difference. That is, in order to understand how can I teach my lullaby to you and my language to you, I need to work with you to understand what it is you're finding really difficult about it and uh, what aspects you consider foreign. So it's an exercise in taking someone else's perspective in empathy development. And it's, uh, we're both putting effort into understanding each other's point of view and something familiar to me is being defamiliarized. It's becoming something, uh, I see it the way that you see it. And Yalatnam, and that's where Yalatnam again has been really important because almost to a person, when we discuss the repertoire that we have, Yalatnam has been described as the most difficult to learn by all of us, and because of the language and because of the different musical style, uh, and that is different to that is a number of us in the choir, not different to Jeanette when she uh, when she came across it, but it is, it's understanding that difference. And then you go and teach your own and you realise, oh, this is how it's different to someone else. And so it's, it's, it's that navigation that this project has allowed us to explore. And what it also shows us is this transition to the performative space. Because while, while we, you know, as we said before, lullabies have a universal element to it, it has a culturally specific element to it, but they're also very personal. And we touched on this a little bit before, but this sharing of the personal is part of what has made it so special uh, to a number of people in the choir. And, but what this also means is that sometimes the songs that we sing are songs that were used as lullabies or are used as lullabies in our families, but they were not intended for that purpose. They're not composed for that reason. And here I'll get Dougie, a wonderful guitarist, to share the story of Danny Boy in his family. Good evening. Uh, Danny Boy obviously is not a traditional lullaby, but it is something that's been sung through at least four generations of my family. Uh, when I was a boy, we lived with my grandparents for a while, uh, and Denny Boy was my grandfather's favourite song. Um, uh, he was in the army during World War II, and I think the song reminded him of that because he would cry every time he sung it. Um, while the lyric meaning is somewhat debated, it's thought to be about a father sending his son off to a war or to an uprising, uh, and I guess that's what resonated with him. 
Uh, I found it surprisingly difficult to bring to the choir. I find it difficult to talk about um, still because uh, I just remember him kind of being really sad um, while singing it. And it's certainly something now I have an um, 18-month-old son who's my first child. So uh, I do hum it to him sometimes. You pull whatever you can trying to get a baby to sleep, <laughs> I've learnt. Um, but that uh, connection... I think that's come from my grandfather. I really do feel that, and I understand why he was, why he used to cry a lot more than I th ever thought I would. Thank you. And and now we'll get forward to share an, another non-lullaby lullaby that he uses with his children. Actually, this is not a lullaby. It's a song uh, which got a special a connection, you know, a spiritual connection, you can say. When my daughter was born, I was tried all the lullabies to let her sleep, you know, and she is still awake. And I said, oh, and I started humming one day and very and said, all right, I will try this one, which is I tried and she fall in sleep. And she gets used to it. Every night she asked me, you know, and, uh, looking at me and say, when are you going to sing? So I start doing that. And she was going to sleep every day. So this is... Um, taught me something, you know, it's not that what we're supposed to tell the kids, kids are even tell you what they want to hear. So then I start doing, since I've got a, now I've got another boy, and I'm doing the same thing with him, so really enjoying, you know, with the whole family. So some, now my daughter is eight years old, and she's still, sometimes she says, oh, can you sing again, please? Well, I say, all right, no problem, we can do that. So there's a few lines for you, which I'm going to sing it. Um, can you tell us what the song is about, if it's not a lullaby, what is, what is it? This song is like, is about, you know, you're talking to God with different things, you know, Allah. To asking about Allah, you know, what have I have done in my life? What is my aim of my life? What is my destiny? It's all about in few words, few lines, you know. You are connecting yourself and putting yourself in front of God. You know, God, I am here for you. You guide me where I lead to. So it's like a path of life and that's very smoothing. And that's why the kids listen, they sleep, fall asleep straight away. Um, that's why I, that's the meaning all about. Just a connection to God, you know. And there's a few lines which I'm going to sing for you. اے خدا ہر فیصلہ تیرا مجھے منظور ہے سامنے تیرے کھڑا بندہ بہت مجبور ہے اللہ ہر دعا میری کسی دیوار سے ٹکرا گئی بے خبر ہو کر میری فریاد واپس آ گئی اللہ आसमा शायद जमी से बहुत ही दूर है सामने तेरे खड़ा बंदा बहुत मजबूर है अल्लाह
Thank you, Fawad. Such a beautiful voice we're spoiled with every second Friday. And thank you to both of you for sharing such personal stories. Um, and, and that that personal, that intimacy uh, that was sh shared here tonight, it characterises the sessions that we have at Lullaby Choir. But then you can imagine how this is transformed when we move it into a public space, right? And this is where we love singing to, for and with uh, our audiences. Uh, but of course, this takes on a different emotional quality when, when we're on stage. We've sung on a train platform, on a moving train in an aged care home, and you know, at a Melbourne Polytechnic launch. And these spaces change the function of the music. So it's moved from being something that's private material for soothing a baby to a cultural and personal artifact that we're using to exchange parts of us, or share parts of ourselves with others in the group, and then collectively sharing that object with audiences as a, as a piece of music that is to be mastered. And this shift means that certain musical elements of the of the repertoire has to be changed sometimes and we have to negotiate. Uh, for instance, the Arabic lullaby is not meant to be sung by a group but meant to be sung and, and of course lullabies in general you imagine a, a solo person singing it. And so how you translate that, especially with some of the tricky improvisation that is often used in, in that sort of musical style, how do you do that in a way that a, a whole group can come together? And so you're negotiating that, you're negotiating, okay, are we going to add clicks and you're, you're having you're asking questions about authenticity and those shifts and that's what happens in these sorts of music projects um, at the same time what we do in public and what we do in this choir feeds back into the private lives and the domestic spheres of everyone involved here um, and I'm just going to show you some video here uh, that was taken in the home of Kiran, who already had a practice of improvising songs and rhymes with her daughter, but after joining the choir, she was inspired to teach her Chanda Mama uh, so that Ashal knew a lullaby that was connected to her heritage. <laughs> I forgot a brother. And so we see there as well the teaching process that happens. And we'll see that teaching process happen again here with Bandana and Arush, her son who is almost four. And in this instance, Bandana is sharing a song that isn't connected to their heritage and it's one that you'll recognise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, we have to cut it short, uh, just being aware of time. So, Bandana spoke about uh, teaching Arush songs in other languages and talked about how, much like our choir, she wanted to use it as a way to teach him that different is, is, is good. She's not saying that different is not nice or something. We are all different, but all are good and are different. And so, it's again trying to 
develop that intercultural competency from a, from a young age, and that's her motivation in doing that. But this, the way that this has permeated into the homosphere isn't just something that's happened in the lives of those who have young children and the sorts of children of ages that you would um, sing lullabies to. It's also something uh, that has connected Chris, one of our members, you want to wave your hand, Chris? <laughs> um, Chris has uh, given me permission to share this story. So she has a Polish background but was born in England. And um, Claudia, you want to wave your hand, Claudia? Claudia is, is uh, Polish as well and has a very strong connection to her heritage and language. And so Claudia brought us a lullaby that is also a Christmas carol uh, to prepare for our end of year AGM last year. And uh, that was one that Chris had never heard before. So Chris hasn't really um, been using language very much uh, over the years and has lost touch a little bit with it. And she said, had this to say about uh, learning, learning that. I found it really got to me because it reconnected me with my Polish background and I was so in awe again saying how the choir people learn the difficult language. And I got very emotional as was obvious because I felt my father's presence. My father passed away about 14 years ago, but he would have been so proud because he had a thing about me keeping up the language, and I haven't been keeping it up. There's a second part to this. It's before Christmas, so then I started listening to Polish music and really loving it, especially the Polish Christmas carols and also sharing it with my mum. I went to visit mum and I showed her that song on YouTube and she loved it. She said when we go and visit her sister in the nursing home, we'll have to let her listen. I would never have gone back into my heritage, and I have now. I feel more Polish because of that song. I can listen to Polish songs, and I just think it's wonderful to have that background. I kind of cast it aside until we sang the song. It just reawakened everything. And so although Chris had always felt connected and proud of her heritage, her language skills had lapsed, and she was able to then uh, sing that song with her mum, as well, and, and, and that sort of started them on the journey to singing other Polish songs together and reconnecting with their heritage over that. And so thanks, Chris, for allowing me to share that story. So with that, combined with the others we've heard today, it speaks to the impact that engaging with lullabies has had for all of us in various life stages. And I'll take this opportunity to ask you to join us and do the same. Uh, we, we rehearse every second Friday, um, and you can come up to me afterwards to talk about that. But there's also um, another uh, couple of events. If you have uh, songs or stories about your grandmothers or if you're a grandmother yourself that you'd like to share, uh, there's a couple of events to do with the multicultural exhibit around grandmothers happening just next Tuesday and on July 25. So I've got some brochures for that if you'd like to come up afterwards and, and discuss that. But with that, we'll lead into our last song, which is a Filipino lullaby. And actually, given the time, I think we're going to just have to ask you to try and uh, pick it up as we go along. So, uh, Arlene, if you can introduce this and then um, you can sing it with us uh, as, you, as you pick it up. Our next lullaby is one of the most popular songs in the Philippines. This charming lullaby is titled as Ili Ili Tulog Anay. This is sung in Ilongo, one of our eight major dialects in our country. Although not very every Filipino knows this dialect, 
but because of the lyrics, which is so simple and short, even a kid can easily remember the song. Our lullaby is translated in English as Sleep a while, little one. Your mom's not here. She went to the store to buy some bread. Sleep a while, little one. In this hauntingly beautiful song, grandmother sings to the baby, telling her to sleep while her mother went to the market to buy bread. While listening to the song, you can feel the tender, loving care of Nana to make the baby fall asleep. Singing this song will make you reminisce your childhood, your mother's voice, and your mother's touch. As this is the easiest song from our repertoire, we are happy and excited to teach you this later. Thank you very much. Uh, I think we've got four minutes for questions, um, if you have any. And uh, if you can just wait for the mic, if you have any. And just pop your hand up and we've got an usher that will come around. Thank you. That was so beautiful. Um, I wonder, I was listening to the songs and thinking about what you were talking about. And so many of our lullabies have this really um, 
really complex emotions packaged into them. They're quite often very sad. And I'm wondering if you know of any research that's looked into why that might be, or is that a global thing? Yeah, I mean, I think that from what we've seen tonight, it is something that is shared across cultures. Uh, I think that uh, the research that I've seen speaks to the the complexity of parenthood, and so that is sometimes that you are singing to a baby and you're soothing them to sleep, but also baby doesn't understand what you're saying, so it's a chance <laughs> to air some of your <laughs> grievances about the experience. And... <laughs> It's, it's, baby doesn't know. So if you're, you know, so, there's some lullabies from different countries that speak to the difficulties that arise in relationships when you have a, when you have a baby and, and, and that, you know, um, we know of a lot, I'm sure that you can think of some where you are scaring your baby to sleep and there's sort of like a folkloric element where you bring monsters into it. And so, um, yeah, the, the, I think that is something that uh, certainly research that, and ethnomusicological research covering lullabies from different cultures across the world, that is something that is found. And I can uh, speak to you more about that as well after. <laughs> so will you be producing a songbook or a CD to share? A CD to share? Um, well, right now, if you turn around, you will see... Janos. <laughs> Hi, Janos. <laughs> Breaking the wall. <laughs> um, yeah, so Janos is doing a documentary for us. We do have little booklets that have the, all the lyrics in them, and we have got a couple of recordings on a CD. So that is something that we can definitely work towards, um, and it's, it's something that we have talked about since the beginning of the project. And so hopefully, if you keep in touch with what we're doing and follow us at, at VixEgg, um, we can hopefully get some of those out. Because, of course, the other thing is that VixEgg has, what, 30 playgroups? And so we had talked about generating them for use in the playgroups as well. But thank you, yes. And I think that might be all we have time for looking at the clock here. So thank you so much for coming. It's been a real joy for us. And uh, come join us.